Hi, this is Yvette Francino, and we are in Season 2 of Carpe Diem Connections. I am co-hosting with my good friend, Rebecca Burns, and we're talking about joy in Season 2 using the Joy Makeover, which you can find by going to thejoymakeover.com and follow along with us if you want. Let's get going. Hello there, Becky. How are you today? Hey, Yvette. I'm doing fine. Happy to be with you. We are here for another edition of Carpe Diem Connections, and today we are talking about joy and food. Yum. So yeah. this topic is one that is in the Joy Makeover, and we are doing these Joy Makeover spinoffs in our weekly podcast. And this week in the Joy Makeover, the Ingrid Fetal Lee talked to Sarah Copeland, who is a professional chef and she also the author of books Feast, The Newlywood Cookbook, and Every Day is Saturday. And she has great photography and luscious recipes. And I was very interested in her, the interview that they had. And one of the first things is very common in these joy interviews. It starts with mindfulness. It starts with really recognizing what in this case, foods bring us joy. So let's start with that, Becky. What foods bring you joy? Well, fruits. Fruits are my first love. I love all melons, mangoes, peaches, plums, all the sweet and juicy gifts from nature. And of course, I live here in South Florida where we get tropical fruits galore all through the summer. And then all through the winter, we have the best citrus in the world. So I'm happy. How about you? For me, that like I'm sure with you as well, there are just so many to choose from. It's hard to, hard to pick, but I'm going to go with breakfast foods because I started this habit probably about four or five years ago to have a beautiful breakfast. And so every morning I take the time to make and usually it's an egg breakfast and nice. I love my breakfast. I love the, when I have a fried egg, breaking that yolk over the toast mm. and uh, it, it's great when it's cooked just right. And lately, since I've been here in Florida, I've loved the avocados. Avocado is another food that if it is just the right amount of ripeness, it's just so beautiful and yeah, so, luxurious. Well, yeah. since you've been a guest at my house, I'm telling you, I love your breakfast foods as well, because I can smell you often put onion, you saute some onion with your breakfast and the you fill the house with the best breakfast aromas. Thank you. Yes, I do. I, use, I have some sauteed vegetables, whether that's tomatoes and onions or mushrooms, uh, often mixed together with my egg breakfast and it's just really yummy so that's breakfast brings me joy in the breakfast foods but I do have a sweet tooth though and I really love desserts as well so and slightly undercooked so I don't like anything when it's crispy or has any kind of a little bit of a burned taste to it but brownies and chocolate chip cookies when they're 
probably cooked a little bit less than, or at least on the low end when there's that range of how much it can be cooked because that just makes it soft and mushy. So I love that too. Yeah, so cookie dough is a home run for you. Yes, yes. In fact, just this was one of the first time, maybe it was the first time that I bought the cookie dough for the edible cookie dough, because usually they would tell you like when, when you're making cookies, not to have the cookie dough raw. But now I guess they must've done something to allow for that because now you, there's edible cookie dough. Did you know that, that you can buy <laughs> cookie dough that we could eat like as a dessert? So, well, um, I, I'm going to look into that. I mean, I bought that the I, other day when we, we were together, but I, I know, I know, but I'm very curious about what the difference is between uh, prepped cookie dough designed for consumption as is versus the cookie dough that's designed to be baked. You know, it's just a lot of anyway, I'm no, it's it, an interesting thing to consider. I'm guessing that neither one of us is neither the cooked or the not cooked is good for us, which kind of gets us to the next question about what foods energize us. Mm. Uh, I'll let you go first on that. Well, I've discovered that whatever it is pretty much that I have fixed myself for dinner, whether I've made enchiladas or whether I have a potato salad or whether I have, I'm having a fried egg, it doesn't matter. I love to serve it on a bed of greens, particularly arugula, drizzled with olive oil and salt and pepper and sprinkled with sunflower seeds. And having my entree on top of a bed of greens just makes the whole meal just, just the happiest meal. It's so balanced. I can see How that. about you? Well, I, I find that if I've eaten something healthy that I know is good for me, that brings me energy. And maybe it's just a mind game. Maybe it's just because of it makes me feel good that I'm putting healthy stuff into my body. But that's what I was going to get to. That's why I said this reminds me of the next question here of what makes us energized and the cookie dough doesn't make me energized. <laughs> Ah, well, that's that mindfulness. It's good that you notice that. The, the treats and the brownies and the cookies, they taste so good, but they do leave me with a kind of bloated feeling and not energy, really pretty lethargic, actually. I usually just am then feeling like I need to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why we have them at the late in the evening, you know, after dinner, before bed. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't like to feel awful either before I go to bed. So I, you know, just save the, the treats maybe for holidays and things like that. I try not to yeah. have too much of them, but, but the breakfast is, it definitely gives me the energy that, that nice healthy breakfast and water is good. And I want to bring up a little trick that you gave me just recently of adding lemon and maybe a little honey to the water. That is just such a nice little pick me up. It just felt like oh, spa water when we, when I did that. And I think anytime we can add a little pizzazz to our food, something different that especially yeah. something healthy that will give me energy. Do you have anything like that? 
Not off the top of my head. I'm a good water drinker. So let's get to another question here about food and messages we received from our family as we when we were kids. They what, one of the things in the video they talked about is how we talk about food to our kids and whether or not we give them positive, excited messages about food or negative messages. And I know I thought about a couple myself. Uh, I'll tell you one of mine. Yeah. Uh, one of mine was a, when we, we definitely always were told not to waste food. And there was sort of the classic starving kids in Ethiopia story about those kids don't have any food. So we are not going to throw away food and anything on your plate you need to eat up. And also don't put too much food on your plate if you're if you're not going to finish it all. So that was one of our my lessons. And I don't know if it's because of that or just because I don't like to be wasteful, but to this day I'm very conscientious about not throwing food away. And when I go to a restaurant or anything, I often will just have half a serving but take the other half home for another meal. Yeah. I feel like it lasts twice as long. And so it's actually great that we can take a doggy bag home and, and enjoy the, the meal again. Uh, yeah. I'm usually more than satisfied with just half of the serving. So my mother was also very sensitive about food waste. And, you know, we were lucky to grow up with mothers that were at home and cooked you know, a dinner meal most every night. Um, but my mother was extremely sensitive about food waste and about uh, food complaining. So she, you know, she got really irritated with us complaining about the foods we didn't like. So she laid down a rule. We could each pick two foods that for the rest of our lives, we didn't have to eat. And we all, of course, picked very different things. I picked liver and tomato aspic. I never had to eat those things. Um, and when they were served, it was not an issue. We didn't have to take any. We didn't put any on our plates. We didn't talk about it. But the flip side of the rule is that whatever else that we didn't care for, we it was like we were at a dinner party. You had to put a little bit on your plate, move it around, take a bite, and be polite. So, you know, it was a good, it was a good lesson. We all sort of could respect each other at the table this way. So you had liver as one of yours. So did your mom still make liver and then it was okay that you didn't have liver, but the, everybody else did have it? Right, right. Hmm, that's interesting. And so then did you just didn't have that at, you had you had a lesser dinner plate. I mean, were you not hungry or well, did you get a substitute? Well, um, gosh, when it was liver, there would always be mashed potatoes and green. I mean, my mother always served totally square meals with lots of vegetables. And so there would have been plenty of other stuff to eat. Hmm. Okay. Well, that is an interesting rule. I have never heard that kind of rule where you get to pick two, two, uh, foods that it's fine as long as you have all the rest so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah okay cool well 
another message that I had was from my grandpa, my grandpa Francino, so my dad's father, who is Italian. He came right from Italy. He actually even owned an Italian restaurant in New York. So he loved food and he was frustrated with how Americans ate so quickly that they sort of wolfed down their food. And so he was very intent on when he visited us on that we would savor the meal, that we would have that be the event. Everyone would sit around and talk. And certainly we visited, when we visited them, my grandparents, that was the way it was. And we had a trip to Italy actually for their 50th wedding anniversary. They'd already Um, moved to America, but they went back to Italy for their 50th wedding anniversary with their families. And we all, all the grandkids and kids went as well. And boy, yes, over there. Now, of course, because it was a big family reunion, I'm sure it was a little bit different but than, than normal. But even in everyday life, they just savor their meals. I mean, the, the, they spend so much time preparing the meal and everybody sitting around and talking and laughing. And, and it, it really is a huge event to, to eat eat together. It's a hard event for the wives, I think, or the women are always in the kitchen. Yeah. But uh, so I never would go to the extent of all the time cooking and serving, but I appreciated the, the celebration of it all and the savoring and the family time. So when I was a mother and my kids were growing up, we did really honor the family dinner table. And we didn't, we kind of had a rule that you couldn't go eat in front of the TV that we ate together as a family. And so that is, even though that wasn't my own parents' rule, that was really more my grandfather really influenced. I remember him, that being a strong opinion of his, that did influence me. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So any other rules that you can think of or influences from your childhood that? Oh, I just have a picture in my mind of my dad sharing. He would bring home a big watermelon or a big sack of peaches. You know, he grew up in the country in rural Mississippi. And so when it was fruit season, you know, he would stop at a roadside stand and pick something good and just stand over the kitchen sink and eat ripe peaches and eat watermelon and invite the kids to share. And I was the only one and he and I would stand at the kitchen sink and eat juicy fruit. I mean, it would just, you know, roll down our chins and uh, it was a happy time. (laughs) I guess he put me on the fruit path. Yeah. That's one of the reasons that fruit brings you joy. I bet is because you, are remembering those happy times with your dad. I mean, yeah, for sure. Well, and you know, both of us, well, my parents were, are older than your parents were, but my parents certainly grew up in the depression. And as you say, your parents were very sensitive about food waste. And now, you know, we get to this idea of 
of hoarding versus abundance. So, I mean, that's really, I think, an important shift in, in the generation that we've come to experience. Yes, I mean, that we really have, if we have, a, if we come from a mindset of abundance, then there really is no reason to hoard. And that is a point that was made in the video with Sarah is that she was asked about this guilt that we often feel around food, that with all the emphasis on health and weight and that if we're eating food that we think is not good for us. Cookie dough. Yeah, like cookie dough, exactly. <laughs> that sometimes it is hard to stop. And I know I can have that, that can happen with me with candy or chocolate that I'll want to keep eating more and more. And Ingrid asked Sarah about, you know, do, how does she reconcile that? Because she's a cook and she's around people all the time. And I mean, she's around all this great food. And she said that she reminded herself of this abundance mentality that, that there is a variety of wonderful food that she can always have access to. And so there's no reason to overeat it, that she was able to train her mind to have a little bit of treat or a little bit of what she wanted and say, I don't need to eat more of that. It is around for when I'm hungry again or tomorrow mm -hmm. when I'm on a treat and that I don't need to hoard it or overeat it or overindulge because there's an abundance of food. So that is a special kind of mindfulness. That's, that's super important. Yes. Although for me, it doesn't quite work that way because if I have it in my house, then it's much harder for me to stop eating whatever it is. So it's, if, if I don't see it, if I don't, if I don't have candy, it's not Halloween and there isn't a whole big bag of chocolate there, I don't have a craving for it. But when it is there, it is hard for me to stop eating. So even, so it's almost like the opposite, the abundance it's just such a temptation for me to eat. And this is especially true if I make food that will go bad, then I'll go back to like, I don't want to throw this away. And right. It's you have to, to I have to eat it because I don't want to throw it away. Well, that's when I use my freezer. Yeah, that's a good idea. Usually I would make a dessert or something like that when I'm having company. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I often would try to get them to, you know, to take it home. Take it home. Right. Or that kind of thing. <laughs> so I won't be tempted to have the whole thing, but. but yeah, I'm the same way. There are certain foods that if I have them around, they just, you know, I have such an attraction to those foods that my mind can't just let them go. It's like, I just keep thinking about it and, you know going back, having another serving, uh, puddings are the ones that really, you know, you can't eat too much pudding, <laughs> you, you never get full. Like ice cream, you know, mm -hmm. have you ever eaten too much ice cream? I don't know if that's even possible. So for me, it's easier not to have those foods around. Right, for me too. The other thing that I do to 
keep myself from overindulging is to go slow. Again, that like my grandfather says is, you know, if you savor and go slow, then you have your stomach catches up with your Yes. You have enough time for the food to get in your stomach and to have that full feeling. And also if you're drinking water, drinking something as you wine. (laughs) Yes. In the case of Italian food and being in Italy, that would be wine. That you just, you're going slow and filling. I also, to try to prevent myself from eating too much, we'll just have really small bites and have make it last. And then I can almost feel like I'm having seconds or thirds and it's just the next little bite. And- that reminds me of a story. I was sitting at the Chautauqua, you know, on that beautiful porch in a summer many years ago with a friend uh, out in Boulder, Colorado. And we were meeting in the afternoon for tea and we had both had a piece of pie and I had finished mine and she's a very slow eater and she had like two bites left and she kept cutting each bite into smaller and smaller pieces instead of actually putting some of the pie in her mouth she just kept cutting them into smaller pieces and she remembers this so clearly I about leaped out of my chair I said are you gonna eat that or what (laughs) because it was driving me crazy it was it was I wanted to eat more pie and there she was just pushing it around on her plate (laughs) and what happened did she eat it or did she say you go ahead she burst out laughing and finished eating it. <laughs> oh, you're like, darn it. I wanted that. I know you like your pie. You just had your birthday and that was your request for your birthday was apple pie. So I know Yes, I love pie. Pudding and pie. I'm, you know, cakes are good, but pudding and pie is the best. I like all of them. I, I like pudding pie and cakes and cookies and brownies. <laughs> and dough. I usually like it. Yes, and cookie dough. Let's move on to the final topic around food, and that is the aesthetics and the environment also add to the joy. And I remember learning about this in cooking class when I was in junior high, how important it is not just to make whatever you're making, but to the presentation of it is important. And that's why in all the fancy restaurants, they make it all artsy and pretty and I, I think that that really does matter what it looks like. And yeah, we eat with our eyes, they say. Yeah. So they talked about this in the video and I definitely agree. I talked about this in one of our other podcasts as well, that dishware makes a difference. And mm-hmm. I know when I go to Starbucks, I ask them to serve it in the mug. I love having the mug feeling. uh, Yes. Coffee out of cardboard or styrofoam is just not a good experience. Right. So they reminded, uh, they remind us in this video, and I take this to heart, to be aware of your surroundings and where you are when you're eating and making it a pleasant space, making your dining area beautiful, maybe with candles or a centerpiece and eat it off of nice dishwasher, dishwasher, dishware. (laughs) And, um, you know, do things that bring you joy beyond just the food, Mm -hmm. the aesthetics and the, the environment altogether. Don't just 
mindlessly eat while you're doing work or while you're watching TV or doing something else, because then you're not savoring and really enjoying that meal. Right. I have been very guilty of mindless eating. I've been single for many, many years now. And, you know, I think part of, part of recovering from a divorce, uh, you know, a, a change from social eating to solo eating, you know, I did bury myself behind my computer or, uh, you know, other distractions while I was eating. And I'm, I'm determined to, to address this. You know, this is really this podcast discussion has really inspired me to find ways to slow down and focus on food and really make sure that all of the old anxiety about being by myself around food, make sure that that's gone. There's no reason for that uneasiness to be lurking around. Well, especially during COVID, it is a lot more difficult to find companions for eating with if you are alone. And I, I've been single for a long time as well. I love eating with other people, but I don't mind eating alone at all. I, especially when the weather's nice outside, I feel very lucky to have a outdoor patio table. And to me, it's wonderful to just eat the meal and then relax and sort of just enjoy the surroundings and Well, you have that fabulous patio in the back of your house with the little waterfall. Uh, Yes, you have a wonderful environment for enjoying food. Yes, I do. And here when I'm with you, it's, it's nice too. It's beautiful. I, I think that I have really done a lot of the practices that they talk about in the workbook about being really mindful. And I have been doing this as far as food goes and a lot of things for quite some time that it's become somewhat habitual to just feel like I want to only put things I love into my body. I I think that this thing about food really has come about maybe just because of being mindful about, I, I read somewhere that you shouldn't have processed food, that processed foods aren't Good for you. So I have spent more time. That's when I started making my breakfast in the morning, and it, it's just fun. And it it ends up being it ended up being a lot easier than I thought it would be to find foods that I love to eat and enjoy. And then I just take the time to to savor them. And so yeah, it is. It makes a big difference. Yes. Uh, let's uh let's talk about something we're going to do in the next few weeks or what's our homework what are we going to do to have find more joy with food one thing that i do and i want to keep doing in 2021 is to look for new healthy recipes and i try to i'm not very religious about doing this every single week but i often will make a new recipe and I'll take a picture and put it in my files about this is, this is a good one. And you're good at documenting 
so many things with taking pictures. That is so, I just never think of doing that, but I see how well it works for you. It keeps you mindful. Yeah, it keeps me motivated and it makes me want, want to try to make it a pretty, pretty food. Yeah, We've been talking yeah. about that. And then I'll, if it turned out good, I'll note that like next time I have someone over for dinner, this might be a good thing to make. And so, so yeah, I experiment with new recipes and I really enjoy that. Do you have a go-to source for favorite recipes? I subscribe to quite a few different, just everything is so available online these days. And I couldn't tell you which is my favorite, but. Um, well, don't forget to Google Sarah Copeland next time you're looking for a recipe because she might have some yummy stuff up there. Yes, I'm sure she does. And I do feel lucky that we live in a time where so much is available to us online. So oh, I, know. I, I have stacks of cookbooks too and all kinds of resources to draw from. But so there's no shortage of fun recipes. How about you? What's your, what's going to be your homework? Uh, my homework involves the environment. I, you know, like I confessed, you know, I have often been eating too quickly and with too much distraction, you know, eating with my computer at the table. So I'm really going to focus on creating a soundtrack for my meal time. I want to find uh, music that I can, uh, put on, you know, just ask the Google machine to play a particular piece of probably classical music, probably instrumental music, because I don't want to be thinking so much about lyrics. I want to feel soothed and relaxed. And uh, I want the music to help me slow down and put myself in the mindset of appreciating the eating experience. So that's my homework. Find those soundtracks. That sounds wonderful. All right. Well, let's do our sign off. Okay. It's been great talking with you. All right. So do you remember our sign off though, Becky? Yes. Yes, I do. Okay. One, two, three. Carpentium. See you next week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Listeners, we want to hear from you, so perhaps the easiest way is to find Carpe Diem Connections on Facebook in the Facebook group. Just search for Carpe Diem Connections and come join the discussion. You can also find me at carpediemday.com or email me directly at yvette.francino at gmail.com. See you next week on Carpe Diem Connections. <music>